And welcome back to another episode of Take This Job and Love It. This is a podcast from Yale's Office of Career Strategy aimed at helping you through the various aspects of finding a job and building a career that you love. My name is Claire Zala, and I'm a junior in Yale College. I work with the Common Good and Creative Career team to support Yale students interested in pursuing careers that make a difference and encourage creativity. And I'm joined here today by Jana Wagner, co-founder and chief learning officer of All Our Kin. In 2001, Yale University and the City of New Haven awarded Jana a Seton Elm Ivy Award for her efforts to strengthen partnerships and understanding among the New Haven and Yale communities. Most recently, she was a grand prize recipient of the Rosalind S. Jaff Awards, a program which celebrates everyday heroes who make the world a better place for women and or children through innovative and entrepreneurial social reform. Jana, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Um, so, as I understand it, All Our Kin trains, supports, and sustains community child care providers to ensure that children and families have the foundation they need to succeed in school and in life. How did you come about to co-found this organization? So, the story has a Yale connection, actually. I was teaching in the Bronx through Teach for America in the mid-90s, and I realized that I really wanted and needed more education. And so I went back to graduate school and got my master's in education from Harvard Graduate School of Education. I wanted to learn what good schools looked like because I hadn't gone to a diverse school that had excellent outcomes for young children. And I knew that it was possible. While I was there, I was coming home to New Haven, where I was born and raised, because I'm a mama's girl, and I love my mom. (laughs) And I had lots of friends there in graduate school. And so I would come home, and I'd see my friend Lucy, who was uh, my college roommate. And she'd always bring this woman with her named Jessica. And at first, I was frustrated, because I came home to see Lucy, not this woman, Jessica, but over time time, we got to know each other, and we realized that we shared a lot of the same values and cared about a lot of the same issues plaguing society, one of which was uh, early childhood education and the achievement gap, or what we call now the education opportunity gap. And so Jessica had the initial idea for all our kin. It was around 19... 96, when President Clinton signed the Personal Responsibility Work Opportunities Reconciliation Act, which we know as the welfare law. And the welfare law changed uh, welfare as we know it. It really limited uh, people's access to the entitlement. So a lot of moms that were single moms with young children were torn between getting a job and the economic self-sufficiency and the health and well-being of their children, right? They didn't have enough money to find high-quality childcare, and they had kind of not a real choice. They had to leave them with a neighbor or find a job that paid them enough money to provide quality care, but that was really challenging. So Jessica came up with this initial idea. Could we 
create a child care cooperative where moms and babies could come together. Um, moms could learn how to be child care providers and the babies could come with them and they would learn and grow in the child care program. And because I was getting to know Jessica, she essentially pitched me on coming home and being her partner. She was the lawyer and the administrator. I was the educator. And since I'd grown up in New Haven and gone to Yale, I had this New Haven connection that helped. Um, and from there, we grew. And over time, our mission stayed the same. But uh, instead of running these little childcare centers, we decided that it made more sense for lots of different reasons. But to podcast to explain, we would actually instead of asking people to come to us and train to be childcare providers, we would actually go to them and support them in their homes. So right now we run a, a network of family childcare homes. These are people that run childcare businesses in their apartments or homes, and we help them run sustainable businesses so that they can make livable wages and support their own families. And we support them on their educational programming. Okay. Does so this both business women and educate? Does this um, organization have particular meaning for you, being from New Haven and growing up in this area? Yes. Uh, so that was one of the reasons I came home. Um, I think if all our kin had started somewhere else, it would have been a harder choice. But I always knew that I would come back to New Haven and make a difference. I didn't think it would be when I was 26. It was definitely not the plan. The plan was not to come home, um, but I knew that I would regret it if I didn't try. So I did, and you know, 20 years later, I'm still here. So yes, New Haven was a huge draw. What specifically do you do as a chief learning officer? Because you've talked about um, educating childcare providers. Um, do you uh, create the kind of curriculum for how they learn? I'm laughing because <laughs> People make fun of my title, a chief learning officer. What's a chief learning officer? The truth is we got to make up our title. So a chief learning officer is someone that oversees the educational programming of the organization. And so you're right. I help think about uh, the adult curriculum as well as the child curriculum. How do we help our child care providers provide the best educational programming to young children. And it's really complicated, right? Because our childcare providers serve mixed age groups. So imagine an apartment that's small with a couple of babies, a three-year-old, a two and a half year old, maybe a four-year-old, and it's one person. And so this one person has to individualize, love, support, nurture, all of those kids. Um, and that's a real challenge. In schools, kids are grouped by age group right, by their developmental age, but in family child care, family child care providers are serving kids of all different ages. Um, and so it makes it even more complicated and therefore they need support to figure out what toys should there be, what materials, um, what learning opportunities, uh, what do you do with the babies when they're sleeping and the toddlers and three-year-olds want to run around and make noise. So it's a lot of, um, determining professional learning opportunities, supporting our coaches. We have a team of coaches that are former teachers and early childhood educators, former family child care providers that go out into the homes and model and bring materials and goodies and support hands-on 
and they do the real hard work and I'm one of the people that supports them. What do you see as the biggest uh, reward or challenge that has to go into that kind of work? The biggest reward is seeing the children receive amazing early learning experiences and nurturing from these amazing women who society considers babysitters and devalues, but in fact are doing some of the most important and most challenging work there is. So I'm happiest when I'm in programs on the floor engaging kids and watching teachers, the family childcare educators, engage warm and lovingly and positively with young children. And the, per, the educators that we work with are so grateful for all of the resources that we provide. Any thank you that they ever give, it just you know, fuels me for a month. <laughs> um, what's hard is that they're not valued. Um, the work they do is invisible and not considered teaching. It's considered babysitting and not professional when in fact they're serving, um, I think a study just came out that they serve the majority of infants and toddlers across the nation. So these are folks that are caring for most of our infants and toddlers nationally, but they're not considered part of the early childhood system. And so a lot of our work is around changing the narrative of what family childcare is possible and can be and working on policies that value their work as a profession and include them in the systems that matter. Um, so that can be that can be challenging. Um, fighting against people who believe that this work isn't valuable. Have you discovered um, any particular qualities or characteristics that for you have been valuable in overcoming those challenges or just qualities that you would think would be very valuable for someone to have who's working in a nonprofit sector? Yeah, sure. So I would say hope. Like every week something hard happens and if you let every challenge or problem upset you, you, you wouldn't survive. There's always a problem and ideally you're looking at it as an opportunity. Like, how can I make this problem um, solved? How can I solve this problem in a creative way? Um, persistence. When we first started, nobody believed us. Um, they actually, you know, because we came from Yale, it actually made it harder. Because uh, there are so many Yale students who want to start a nonprofit or um, it, it might be different now, but back in the day, there were a lot of Yaleys who wanted to like make New Haven better and help. And I think that kind of made New Haven folks kind of wary of anyone that like said, I want to do good in New Haven. Uh, we just didn't trust them, but we persisted. We called the housing authority, you know, every morning until the housing authority executive director finally answered the phones. Um, so it really is persistence, even when people don't believe you. And at the same time, humility. Uh, I think one thing that we were and still are is humble. We, we know that our program works, but we respect 
our child care providers and educators as experts and value them as people and as as a people with knowledge. And when we started our organization, we made sure that we talked with everyone and valued everyone and didn't come in like, we have the solution and this is the answer that will solve the problem. We got good advice early on from the director of the Yale Child Study Center. And he said to us, like, if you can join up with another nonprofit that's doing similar work, do it rather than start your own nonprofit. And I give that advice to everybody. Like, don't start something new if there's something that is doing the work you want to do and is just as good or is almost as good as your idea. Just start, join them and, and make it better. Uh, as adding another nonprofit to the nonprofit um, structures is is not helpful unless it's a truly unique and transformative idea. Yeah. On the on the topic. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Can I, please continue? Yeah, sorry. No. Please say what you're gonna say. No. 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 It's not important. Okay. I was gonna say on the on the topic of. Um, giving advice um, to Yale students, people who are about to graduate or who are considering their next paths in life. Um, would you say that there was a particular experience that was valuable to you or is there a, a good first step that you would advise to people who have an interest in nonprofit work or just want to positively impact their communities? Yeah, I have so much advice. <laughs> the first is uh, if you want to positively impact your community, you don't have to do it as your job. Um, you can be on a board of a nonprofit. You can be a donate. You can donate. You can be a philanthropist. Um, you could work at an investment bank and you can donate your salary or get a matching donation. You can. Um, there are lots of ways to like do good. Um, so that's one thing. If you're interested in, in be, being part of a nonprofit, I would suggest that you get a job in a nonprofit and or do a Dwight Hall Summer Fellowship or a PPSF Fellowship or some kind of summer internship with a nonprofit uh, in Connecticut or New Haven or wherever interests you in the field that you care about and learn from people that are doing the work and really engage them in conversations, um, do all the work that needs to be done, not just the fun stuff. Like if they need the phones answered one day, you answer the phones. If they need some filing done, you do the filing, even though you'd rather be doing the like exciting research or innovating or presenting. Um, you want a opportunity that gives you those real hands-on experiences, but you also have to pitch in uh, and help out. Because at a nonprofit, most of them are strapped with staff and resources and so everyone takes out the trash everybody answers phones everybody helps um and then i would say um if possible be in a place where the staff are willing to meet with you and talk to you and bring you to lunch and ask them how they got to where they are and in good nonprofits, people do that naturally so at all our kin you come to all, all the meetings, you have lunch with all our staff, you do real work, you um, are engaged really in the fabric of the organization while you're there. Um, so try to find a place that talks like that and um, wants you deeply engaged as part of the community. 
Now, just to to wrap up, that was amazing. And I, I have a question that I like to ask people. Um, what are your hopes for the future? Oh, my hopes for the future, I have so many, but um, I hope that through our work and other people's work, that every child in the United States starts their earliest years off in quality early childhood experiences, either provided by their parents or in a formal childcare arrangement. And that those childcare providers are treated with dignity and respect for the hard work that they do. And that families don't have to make tough choices um, because our children, the, the educational opportunities gap doesn't begin in kindergarten when children enter school without their ABCs and one, two, threes, it actually starts when babies are born and families don't have access to or the time to uh, engage kids in the ways that they need and deserve. Mm. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jana. That was really amazing getting to talk to you. Um, And I, I hope to see you around New Haven sometime. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. All right. That was Jana Wagner, co-founder and chief learning officer of All Our Kin. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today, and I will see you next time.